1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible
2: teacher, Tom Cantor. So when you're involved in a world of tradition, you don't ask why, you just do it. That's tradition. But God says, if you want to know the scripture, you ask why. You ask why, because only by asking why will you be able to know the scripture to a point where you can draw conclusions out, as Paul did with his muzzling of the ox, uh, and so forth. So that's what it means to know the scripture. So when he says, when the Lord Jesus says in verse 3, have ye not read, he is really meaning, have you not thought about have you not asked questions about? Have you not drawn conclusions from? That's what he means. And he gives these, and now he goes on, as we said, and he gives these two examples of how the law was broken, quote unquote, by people who were not blamed, not guilty. They were blameless. David, in the passages met in 1 Samuel 21, one through six, he broke the law, as we mentioned. And, uh, and by the way, the decision to get the bread was not David's. It was the priest that gave it to him after he made that criteria. And then the second example the Lord gives of breaking the law or a person's blameless is in verse five, verse five. Have you not read in the law? Again, when he asked that question, have you not read? Think, have you not thought through? Have you not probed? Have you not asked questions about when it says, have you not read, so, or have you not read in the law, verse five, how that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. Now, what is that about? That goes back to Exodus 35, three, which says, "Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath days. That's a no fire law on the Sabbath day. Uh, anyway, I don't want to talk about tradition. And so, okay, so, uh, which is why the Orthodox have these big stones that they heat up on Friday that stay hot on through Saturday so that they can heat their food without making a fire. And that was a lot of laws, you know. I don't want to go in that direction. So, So, here the law is quite clear that there were to be no fires made on the Sabbath day. And as a matter of fact, God was quite serious about that because in Numbers fifteen thirty-three, Numbers fifteen thirty-three, it says that the, there was this man gathering sticks to make a fire on the Sabbath, and they brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation, and they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp, and all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is a very serious law. Don't make fire on the Sabbath day. God's very serious about that, but there's another part in the law. In Numbers uh, 28.9, Numbers 28.9 says, And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot and two-tenths deal of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath beside the continual burnt offering and drink offering. So the priests were to make a burnt offering of the Sabbath. They were to make a burnt offering of Sabbath. Well, you can't have a burnt offering unless you have fire. It's pretty hard to do. So technically, and there was nothing in the law that said you make no fire, no kindle, no fire on the Sabbath day except for the burnt offering. It doesn't say that. There's nothing written like that. So you have to think it through, and you have to realize, well, obviously this is an allowable exception, even though it's not written. It's an allowable exception because you can't have a burnt offering without there being fire. So the principle about exceptions is to think through and make decisions based on logical conclusions, on necessity. Think of how it was necessary for David to eat and there was no other food available. Think and don't act blindly regarding the law. Think of how it was necessary for the priest to make the burnt offering and they needed fire. Think and don't act blindly regarding the law. Now, the Lord, there's the same principle of think. Think is what the Lord meant when he said in verse 6, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. See, the Lord was calling on the Pharisees to think and realize that standing in front of them was from verse 8, the Lord of the Sabbath, he as he called himself, the Lord of the Sabbath, as he says in verse 6, one greater than the temple, and And he says, he really emphasizes that to them in verse six when he said, in this place, very important three words, in this place. He's emphasizing to them the tragedy in this place at this time, the tragedy that they didn't realize that God was speaking to them. And that's the emphasis of those three words. God is speaking to you right here, right now, in this place, at this time. See, these three words that the Lord is telling them in this place shows how tragic it was that they didn't see that right before them was God. In this place is one greater than the temple who is speaking to them, it's God speaking to them. See, those three words, in this place, have an application today to show the same tragedy of not realizing, not being aware of God speaking. A person receives a gospel book in the mail, the person looks at it, like I've seen so many emails come back to me. A person looks at it and says, oh, I thought it was just another piece of junk mail. He doesn't realize in this mail, God is calling out to him. A person listens to a radio, a Bible radio program and thinks, well, that's entertaining to hear all those stories. And not, you know, I didn't realize that it was in the Bible. And he doesn't realize that in this radio program, God is calling out to them. A person is at work or a friend or a family member or whatever, and he tells them, tells him how he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the person thinks, ah, it's just another religious experience story. And he doesn't realize in this person witnessing, God is calling out to him. Or a person reads a Bible portion and thinks, oh, that's an interesting history. That's interesting. I didn't know that before. But he doesn't realize In this Bible portion, God is calling out to him. And that should be our conviction. Every time we pick up the book and we read it, we should see the Bible, not just as some passive book that we reach into, but we should see the Bible as the active voice of God that is reaching out to us, reaching out to us, because the Bible reaches out to us. The Bible calls out to us. The Bible cries out to us, just like wisdom does. Wisdom is not a block of knowledge that we reach out to to get wisdom. Wisdom reaches out to us. Wisdom reaches out to us with a voice that speaks to us. Wisdom reaches out to us with a voice that cries to us. And this is seen in Proverbs 1, Proverbs 1.20, where it says, wisdom crieth without she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the cheap place of the concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words. Now, in Proverbs 8.1, Proverbs 8.1 says the same thing. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice. She standeth in the top of the high places by the way of the places and the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. See, in these passages in Proverbs, wisdom is a person. Wisdom is a person. And who is this wisdom? 1 Corinthians one 1 Corinthians one thirty. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is made unto us wisdom. Christ Jesus is, is wisdom wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ so the Lord Jesus Christ is wisdom and he is also has the name in John 1 1 John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he has the name of the word John 1:14, John 1 14. the word was made flesh that's who we see Jesus, he is the word made flesh, he is wisdom. Revelation 19.13, Revelation 19.13, his name is called the word of God. His name is called the word of God. So it's the Lord Jesus who is wisdom in the word of God. It's the Lord Jesus who is calling out to us from the Bible, just as he did in the temple in John 7.37, John 7.37, where it says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And the tragedy with the Bible is when a person just reads the Bible and doesn't realize in this Bible portion God is calling out to me. That's the power behind the verse six. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. So verse six, we see the Lord Jesus is greater than the temple just as the priest gave the authority to David to eat the showbread so the Lord can give the authority to his disciples to grab the stalks and rub their hands, eat them. Why? Because verse eight, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath day, which means the Lord Jesus can change the law of the Sabbath. He can do it. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He changed the law about eating the unclean animals like pork. I'm glad he did that, by the way. I'm glad he allowed it. Good thing. Peter said, he said to Peter, in Acts 10, Acts 10, 12, wherein were all manner are four-footed beasts on this sheet, wild beasts, creeping things, like lobsters, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice saying to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. The vessel was received up again to heaven. I mean, I feel like saying, "Peter, go for the bacon." <laughs> it's fantastic, and that lobster is good too, by the way, on that sheet. But the Lord is greater in the temple. The Lord is greater in the church. The Lord is greater than the church, which means the temple and the church are nothing without Jehovah Jesus. That's what it means. Now, the Lord finally arrives in their synagogue, and he sees a man there with a withered hand, and right away. The Pharisees have baited him. He's, they see him looking at the man with the withered hand. And they say, you gonna heal him? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath day? Go for it, go for it. That's what's behind verses nine, verse nine. When he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Then they might accuse him. And he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep that fall into a pit on the Sabbath day? He'll lay hold on it. And lift it out, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. He stretched it forth, it was restored whole like the other. Now, here was this man that had a hand that was not just paralyzed, it was completely dried up. I mean, the, there was no circulation in it. There was just no moisture in it. It was just dried up, useless flesh for a hand. It was shriveled up to nothing. So what do you have? And the Lord looks at this man's hand and he saw, in that hand, he saw the picture of you and I and every lost sinner. The form of a hand is there, made in the image of God we are, but it's become useless. It's a life that's wrecked by sin. And the man has a desire. He wants to use his hand. I mean, tradition says he was a bricklayer and he got damaged in brick. I don't know. But anyway, doesn't matter. He's sitting there. He wants to use his hand, but he's not able to. Like a person who wants to stop sinning, he wants to live right, but he can't. And the Lord uses this analogy of a sheep, and He says, The sheep fell into a pit, like a person who has fallen into a life of sin. And the Lord says that the only way the sheep can be helped is if you go and you grab the sheep first and lift them out. And that's like God saves a person from sin, He grabs a hold of that person, person's life, maybe. Uh, hard for him to kick against the pricks, whatever it is. And he brings him to the cross where God lifts him out of his sin. And then the Lord explains that a man is so much better than a sheep. He's, He's saying to them, don't you understand that? A man is so much better than a sheep. And with that word, The Lord is telling them, that this is the value of man. Man is valuable. Man is so valuable that God gave his son to save him. He never did that for a sheep. And the Lord said that. You can see the Lord never, ever cheapening the value of man. He is selling the great worth of man. The Lord says, I want you to feel worthy. But the Lord was not saying, I want you to be conceited. And there's a difference between feeling worthy and feeling conceited because conceit, is to see how I am different from other people like the Pharisee in prayer he was very conceited in Luke 18:11 Luke 18:11 which says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus unto himself saying God I thank thee that I am not as others are as extortioners unjust adulterers like this publican he was comparing himself with other people that's conceit worth is not to see how different I am from other people worth is to see how I am the same as all men God so loved the world that not just one person, not just a group more than others, on the cross, Christ died for all men because all men are worthy and valuable. On the cross, the Lord died for all men, not just the elect, not the L and the tulip. The L and the tulip is not limited atonement, it's limited understanding, forget it. All right, then the Lord commanded the man to stretch out forth his hand and the man obeyed. So the man, the command for the man to stretch forth his hand, it set a tremendous crossroads for this man, a crossroads of a choice. The man had a choice. He could stretch forth his hand and he could have it restored or he could not stretch forth his hand and go away the way he came, not restored. And also, if that man hesitated to stretch forth his hand, then that was the same as not stretching forth his hand he had to immediately stretch forth his hand. The choice was his. Either it was going to be an immediate obedience, which brought about a restoration, or a disobedience, or delayed obedience, which is the same as a disobedience, and it did not bring about the restoration. That's the way it is with the gospel. It's with responding to whatever call the Lord has made on our lives, obedience, is an immediate, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. The man was commanded to defy the Pharisees. That's what was going on here. The man could have said, oh no, oh no, I can't do that because then I know if I stretch out my hand to be healed that that you'll heal me and that would be defying the Pharisees. I just heard them ask that question. I can't do that. So the fact that the man, without any hesitation, stretched out his hand, it shows that the man was saying, I don't care if I defy the Pharisees. I don't care if I violate the traditions. I don't care if I violate the Talmudic law because I don't care if I'm going to be put out of the synagogue. And that's the great meaning to when it says, and he stretched it forth. And when is a man willing to do that? When is a man willing to defy all he knows, to defy the system he was raised in, to defy the system he is surrounded by, his wife, his children, his family, his friends, when is he willing to do that? And the answer is when his need eclipses all of that as it did for the blind man in uh, John 9, John 9, 25, when the blind man said, answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, I was blind. Now I see when a person is so impressed with the I was blind, with the I have a withered hand, with the I am a dirty, rotten sinner, that he doesn't care. And clearly this man had faith in the Lord Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. And the proof of his faith was that he stretched his hand. And isn't it interesting that the Lord uses the word stretch? The Lord used the word stretch. That word expresses what we have to do in life. If we're going to effectively come to God, if we're going to effectively pray to God, it's got to be a stretch. It's got to be a stretch. You're reaching out because the Lord always has a call to stretch. Stretch, he says in Proverbs one twenty-three. Proverbs one twenty-three. Turn you at my reproof. Stretch, in other words. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. The stretch is to turn at his reproof. The stretch is to stop sinning. The stretch is to repent. Then he says, If you do that, I'll give you the help. I'll pour out my spirit to you. I'll get, make my words known to you. Man, that man, his hand's all withered up. <laughs> Jesus says, Stretch your hand out. Are you out of your mind? It's just, a, it's just a dried up piece of flesh. It hardly looks like a hand. You want me to stretch that out? He said, Stretch. The man had no ability to stretch out his hand. His hand was useless, but the Lord's power was displayed in that man's inability because God made him able to stretch, and Jesus Christ's power is displayed in our inability. If we just do what we're able to do, well where's the glory to God for that? You do what you could, but when we stretch and do things that we're not able to do and God makes us able to do it, glory to God, that's where his power, God's power is seen. That's why Paul said, I glory in my weakness, because in my weakness the power of Christ is seen. So when the man stretched out his hand, it was an act of faith, he believed. The man could not stretch out his hand in his own strength. He knew that he couldn't stretch out his hand in his own strength. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, what do you mean? I, my hands, how am I supposed to do that? He didn't sit there and say, I can't do that. I can't do that. You may have made the tongue, I can't speak. You know, Moses. He says, I, I'm this hand. Yeah, I can't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't hesitate. He didn't ask questions. It was an act of a decision that he made. And the synagogue, he realized, was not enough. He'd been going back to that synagogue and his hand always remains withered and this tradition and religion was not enough for him, for his hand to be made whole. And so this is a pattern that we see in this man's healing. First, it had to be the living presence of Christ, which was there. And if anybody is going to be you receive the restoration of life, like the man got the restored hand, he's got to seek the presence of Christ. Second, he relied on the love of the Lord. He relied on it. He said, I know this man loves me. I know he wants my hand to be back. I'm relying on that. And if anyone's gonna have their life restored, he has to rely on the love of Christ. Second, he trusted the power, the mighty power of Christ, the mighty power of the Lord. He trusted that. He says, I don't know. He says, I can't do it. I don't have the power, but he has the power. He says, I'm relying, I'm trusting on that mighty power of him. And that's a, And anybody who's going to have their life restored from sin or whatever has to trust the power of Christ. And then the man had to patiently wait. He had to patiently wait for the Lord to say, it's time now, stretch your hand out. He didn't go before; he had to wait for it. And the word of Christ has to be waited for. It has to be waited for. And obviously, there was a, an inherent promise when the Lord said, "Stretch forth your hand." He said, "If I can stretch forth my hand, it's going to be restored." So, a promise was believed by this man. He believed the promise. And finally, when the man got the command, it was a command. It wasn't an automatic thing. The man had a role in this. He had to. He did stretch forth his hand. His so hand wouldn't be restored. So the man had to obey the command and that has to be the case. And that's the way that every life that's like a withered hand can be perfectly restored. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this man and his hand and the Lord and his command and the great restoration. We thank you, Lord, Lord, our Lord Jesus and all that he did in this passage in Jesus' name, amen.